Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation, especially looking at those three cosmic messages, the three angels' messages found in Revelation 14 that interact with so many other portions of the Bible. We are on lesson number four, week number four on our 13-lesson journey together. And this week's lesson is called Fear God and Give Glory to Him. We're going to dive into that in just a moment, but let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for giving us time today to pull apart from the other cares of the world and to dwell on you and your message for this time. We ask that you'll bless us and help us to gain a clearer understanding of the type of relationship that you want us to have with you the motivation for having that relationship, and what we can look forward to in the future. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our special guest this week again is Pastor Mark Finley. Pastor Mark, great to have you back. It is delightful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So you give this message, this lesson, the title, Fear God and Give Glory to Him. We don't typically think of the relationship that Christians should have with their God as one built on fear. What does fear mean? What does it not mean? And why are we called to fear God? Actually, uh, Pastor Eric, the title for the lesson comes from Revelation 14 itself, where in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, which we've been emphasizing the last few lessons, it talks about the angel who flies in the middle of heaven, a message that goes to the ends of the earth with the everlasting gospel. Then in verse 7, it says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. This expression, fear God, is a very unique expression. It's used throughout the Bible. So maybe it would help us to understand what it means to fear God if we look at other places in scripture where it's used. So let's go, for example, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 uses the expression fearing God. And it talks, in fact, about Abraham and uh, his fear of God. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to look at verse 12. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, that helps us to understand what it means to fear God, because Abraham has brought his son, Isaac, onto the mountain at the instructions of God to offer him a sacrifice. God was testing Abraham's faith. It was not that Abraham was going to slay his son, but he had to be willing to do that. And God provided a ram in the thicket. But the angel speaks and says, don't lay your hand on the lad, for now I know that you fear God. Did that mean that Abraham was afraid of God? It means that Abraham had such reverence for God, he took God so seriously that he did whatever God said, even if he didn't understand it. What is fearing God? Fearing God in Scripture is having reverence, respect, it's taking God seriously, so I obey him even if I don't understand. We find this relationship between fearing God and obedience also in uh, Ecclesiastes. And we find it there in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. And uh, 
fearing God has to do with the state of mind in which I take God seriously and I do whatever he says, even if I don't understand it. And if we go down there to um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we'll look at verse 14, and if you could read, you know, I think it's good to start even with 13. Read 13 and 14 for us. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The structure of this passage is very similar to Revelation 14:7, where it says, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. This text says, Fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, as you respect God and reverence God, and as you take God seriously, it'll lead you to obedience. And this obedience is significantly important in the light of the judgment. So in Revelation 14, 7, there's an appeal to be very serious about our faith with God in the light of the fact that we're living in the judgment hour. There is a a section here that I think is very helpful that I've written under Sunday's lesson. It talks about the essence of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, the difference between Christ's attitude of humility and his desire to please God and Satan's attitude of arrogance and pride. And I don't know if you have it there, but it's the uh, paragraph that is just the second to last paragraph. The essence of the great controversy revolves around submission to God. Lucifer was self-centered. He refused to submit to any authority except his own. Rather than submit to the one upon the throne, Lucifer desired to rule from the throne. Put simply, to fear God is to place him first in our thinking. It is to renounce our self-centeredness and pride and to live a life holy for him. That's the definition of of what it means to, to fear God. Fearing God is linked to obeying God. We find that in, for example, a number of passages in Scripture. On Monday's lesson, we talk about uh, Psalm 119, verse 73 and 74. What I want us to really clearly see is that you cannot say you fear God if you openly, blatantly disobey God. So fearing God is not being afraid of God. It's not trembling because uh, I'm fearful that if I do something wrong, God is going to zap me. Fearing God is rather a statement of mind where I respect God so much that I take him seriously, and taking him seriously, I obey his commands. And we find this in Psalm 119, verse 73 and 74, and go ahead and read those. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. Yeah. So those who fear you, those who take God seriously, David says, are going to be glad. Why? Because I hope in your word. So in other words, I've given my total life to Christ, and others, believers, are going to be glad when they see me because of my faith in commitment and obedience to Christ. So that has to do with the fearing God. Very good. So not a fear of trembling, a fear that's manifested in trembling but a fear of reverence and respect because we know who God is and what he offers us. A powerful picture there. Uh, you've talked about here living a God-centered life. What does, what does it mean to live a God-centered life 
rather than a, a self-focused or a self-centered life. You know, we bring that out in the um, lesson on uh, Tuesday, what it means to live a God-centered life. And maybe the first paragraph there is a great one to read, and then we can look at some of the texts. In an age of consumerism, when secular values have made self the center, heaven's appeal is to turn from the tyranny of self-centeredness and the bondage of self-inflated importance and to place God at the center of our lives. For some, money is the center of their lives. For others, it is pleasure or power. For some, it may be sports, music, or entertainment. Revelation's message is a clarion call to fear, respect, and honor God as life's true center. You know, Jesus talks about that as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Christ talks about what it means practically to take God seriously and make him the center of our life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we find that here. And Jesus talks about priorities. Where are priorities in life? And go ahead and read that for us. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus is talking about priorities. And he's saying, Make the seeking of the kingdom of God first in your life. Where are your priorities in life? Do you place a priority on prayer? Do you place a priority on Bible study? Do you place a priority on devotions? Do you place a priority on giving to the cause of God and the cause of Christ? Do you place a priority on worship? Seek first the kingdom of God. Here in the book of Colossians, there's a text that really has been burning its way into my mind recently. Uh, And I've been thinking a lot about this text. In fact, thinking about it in the light, uh, Pastor Eric, about my own life. Um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2. And again, go ahead and read that. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And then verse 3, I think we can add to it. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if Christ has transformed our lives... How do we fear God practically? How do we take him seriously? How do we show him reverence? We set our mind. Now, it's interesting the choice of words that the Apostle Paul used there, set your mind. In other words, make a positive decision in your mind. Set your mind. Make a positive choice on the things above, not on the things of earth. So the question is, where where are you focused? What's the focus of your life? Now, obviously... There's work that has to be done. Obviously, um, we need to go out day by day. Some work in factories, some work at computers, some work in the medical profession, nurses and doctors, and some work as, as carpenters and electricians. And so obviously, we go out to work to make a living for our family. But the goal of our life, the focus of our life, is not merely making money. The focus of our life, the goal of our life, is not merely having pleasure for ourselves. Life is much more than simply getting up in the morning, wolfing down a breakfast, jumping in our car, racing to work, battling traffic, coming home at 5.30 half exhausted or 6 o'clock or 7, exhausted, 
watching a little TV while we eat supper and going to bed. Life has to be more than that. And what Christ is saying in this fear God in Revelation, we're living in the judgment hour. Set your priorities straight in life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. Worthwhile for us to, to dwell on, and those are some powerful verses, powerful verses that can and indeed should guide all of our lives. We are tempted and, and in fact, trained by this world to, to look at things happening in our lives on a horizontal perspective, whereas God wants us to take a more vertical perspective and keep the things of heaven in mind. And along those lines, that's what we're doing this quarter as we're looking at three cosmic messages. I want to encourage you again, if you have not already done so, now is the time. Make sure you pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It is called Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley and goes into much greater detail, much greater depth into this subject, and you will be blessed if you pick this up. Where can you do it? At itiswritten.shop. Again, itiswritten.shop is where you will find Three Cosmic Messages by Pastor Mark Finley. And we're going to continue looking at what it means to fear God and give glory to Him when we come back in just a moment. We'll see you momentarily. Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800 800- 992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 800-992-2219. If you enjoy coloring, then you are going to love the Buried Treasure Coloring Book from My Place with Jesus. The Buried Treasure Coloring Book has more than just pictures to color. You'll also enjoy activity pages, each accompanied by their very own audio story. Mr. Dixon came across a small, well-weeded rice patch out in the middle of a field. Get ahead of a rainy day or a relaxing evening as a family and order the Buried Treasure Coloring Book from It Is Written. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking at how what the Bible says about fearing God and giving glory to Him. So we, we've talked already a little bit about fearing God, that it means to reverence Him and so forth, not to shake in fear. But what about giving glory to God? How do we give glory to God? What are some ways that we can do that? Well, let's look at the distinction between those two. Fearing God and giving glory to God in Revelation fourteen seven is in the context of the gospel. So I can never fear God or take him seriously if I don't understand the gospel, if I don't understand that Christ has changed my life and that Christ has transformed my life, if if his grace is not filling my life, if his love is not saturating my life, I can never take him seriously. I can never give glory to him if I don't have anything to give glory for, but I give glory to him because he is my creator. I'm not a speck of cosmic dust. He fashioned me. He made me. I give glory to him because he's my redeemer, because he saved me by his grace. I give glory to him because he is my interceding Lord, my high priest, who gives me power and strength to live every day. And I give glory to him because he's coming again. So it says, give glory to God. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come. 
Now, the Bible helps us define these two things. Fearing God has to do with what I think. Giving glory to God has to do with how I live. Fearing God has to do with a mental state of taking God seriously. Giving glory to God translates that into my life. We find that in a number of biblical passages. Let's just look at one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Now, it's very interesting. The church at Corinth, Corinth is in the southern part of Greece, province of Achaia down south. It was a seaport city that had the temple of Aphrodite, which a thousand pagan immortal priestesses, And it was a city with a lot of uh, transient population. Ships docked there, so you had the ship workers, the sailors were there. It was the party city of Greece, pleasure center of Greece. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, go ahead and read it, please. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So here, how do we glorify God in our lifestyle? Now, there's another passage we have to put with this, and that's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And I think if we get those two together, we'll have a good idea how what it means to glorify God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So here, the scripture says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So I give God glory in the way I live. I give God glory in the choices that I make. So the question I have to ask very practically is, is when I sit down to a meal, is the food I'm eating giving glory to God? Um, Am I truly giving glory to God as I work with him to preserve the health that he has given me? Can I say I'm giving glory to God if I'm smoking tobacco? Can I say I'm giving glory to God if I'm drinking alcohol? Can I say I'm giving glory to God if I'm eating unclean foods? Can I say I'm giving glory to God if I totally neglect my health? If I don't care about exercise, I don't care about diet, I don't care about if I don't care about getting adequate for in other words, how do I give glory to God? I take him seriously in my mind and fear God, but I give glory to him in the way I live. Uh, whatsoever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Um, in what I listen to, am I giving glory to God? The kind of music am I listening to? Is that giving glory to God? Uh, in the activities of my life, it, when, I, when, I, when I watch on television, what I look at on YouTube, what I watch on Netflix, is all of that giving glory to God? Is it possible that I can claim to be a Christian but yet defile my mind by sitting down and watching things on the internet that that are totally unchristian? Or what if I'm addicted to the digital world? Am I giving glory to God there? You know, some sometimes you run into people who have their Christian life and then they have the other life yeah. that they live. And, and really, Christianity is not about a, a dualistic approach to life. It's it's an entire wholehearted approach. Everything is, it's holistic, I guess, if we could use that with a, with a W, a holistic approach to life that everything is involved in, nothing is separated from. 
Exactly. There are a couple passages on that in the Bible. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This brings out exactly what you've said, uh, Pastor Eric. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It really illustrates Paul's concept, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, of what it means to give glory to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, sanctify you completely, your whole spirit. That's your mental attitude. You know, we've said sometimes that person is an angry spirit. That person is a kind spirit. It reveals our, our attitude. And then it says your soul. That's the spiritual faculties of the human being. And body, that's the physical. So you have mental, spiritual, and physical. And we give glory to God in every aspect of our life. So we reverence God. We fear him. We give glory to him in every area of our lives. Now, if we are reverencing him and giving him glory, then you get into the next question is, what about overcoming? What about those challenges that we face in life? There's None of us is is impervious to temptations. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole lot easier to fall to temptations, at least it seems, than to resist them. Is there any hope? We want to do the right things. We want to be ready for Jesus when he comes. Is there actual hope that we could overcome some of those bad habits, some of those sins that so easily beset us? You know, it's fascinating when you look at the book of Revelation. Because Revelation is a book about overcoming. The seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Ephesus, he that overcomes. Smyrna, he that overcomes. Pergamos, he that overcomes. Thyatira, he that overcomes. Sardis, he that overcomes. Philadelphia, he that overcomes. Laodicea, he that overcomes. So all, wherever, what God is saying in that is wherever you find yourself. If you find yourself in the midst of compromise, you can overcome. If you find yourself in the midst of evil and darkness, you can overcome. If you find yourself in the midst of spiritual complacency, you can overcome. If you've drifted from Christ and once knew him, you can overcome. So the emphasis of Revelation is we, through the grace of Christ, not through our own strength, not through our own power, it's possible to overcome. As you and I were talking a little bit off camera, we never want to limit God. Unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, I was once asked whether I I thought it was possible for someone to overcome. And the answer that I gave, and I hadn't prepared the answer, I think God just gave it to me, was I would not feel comfortable putting any limits on what God can do in the life of a person who is completely and totally surrendered to him. You know, if, if we are indeed truly surrendered to him, then he has carte blanche. He can do whatever he wants. And the last time I checked, God doesn't have any limitations in that department. And so he, but it's up to us to be willing to lay down our wills at his feet and let him take the wheel. Yeah, you know, the question we'd have to ask too, and that's such a great answer. God has no limitations. But the question we'd have to ask is too, what sins are so great that God's power cannot enable us to overcome them? You know, because he says that he is the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says that I've begun a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6 and 7, and I will finish the work that I began. I don't know how God's going to finish his work in my life, but I know he promises to finish it, and I don't want to limit what God can do. 
that that promise is one that gives me hope that he who began a good work will will perform it or finish it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I may not be yet who I aspire to be, but I'm not who I used to be either. And so we're on a journey, and God, day by day, if we're willing to to go on that journey with him, will lead us step by step. There is a paragraph that I've written on page 35 that might be helpful on this point. It's on Thursday's lesson, April 20th. It says, Jesus, the divine Son of God, has overcome the wiles of the devil. He faced temptations, trusting in the promises of God, surrendering his will to the Father's will and depending on the Father's power, trusting him, looking to him, believing in him, we too can be victorious. Jesus is our all in all. And the three angels' messages are all about him. Revelation's message is one of victory, not defeat. It speaks of a people who through his grace and by his power overcome. That's the purpose of these three angels' messages, to lead us in the light of the judgment hour, in the light of the second coming of Christ, to fear God, to take him seriously, to give glory to him in every aspect of our lives, believing that through his grace and by his power we can overcome. So, Pastor Mark, let me give you an opportunity to speak to those who are watching or listening who may be struggling with something, who may be frustrated, and they believe that God can give them victory, but they're not experiencing it. They believe that God can change their lives but they're not seeing it happen, and they keep stumbling and falling, and they're kind of at a point where they say, I believe, yet I, it's not manifesting itself. What kind of encouragement could you give to someone? Well, thank you so much for asking. The question that I would ask that person is this. Remember what Jesus said. He said to the man who was shaking from head to toe with a palsy, will you be made whole? In other words, do you desire healing. So if you're struggling with something in your life today, and if that thing you've fallen on again and again and again, I would ask you this question, do you really want the power of Christ? Do you really want to give up that thing? And you say, Pastor, yes, I do. Make then a decision that today you're going to surrender that very thing to Jesus. Come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm weak. I'm frail. I know that I can't do this on my own. But this is the confidence that we have in him, 1 John 5, verse 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If you know it is God's will for you to give something up and surrender it, if the Holy Spirit's been impressing you with that, surrender that to him today. And 1 John 5, 4 says, says, this is the victory that overcomes the world even by faith. Don't wallow in your failures. By faith, accept his victory. By faith, accept his power. By faith, you believe you can overcome, and you will. Pastor Mark, thank you so much for being with us again this week, and thank you for helping us to understand what it really means to fear God and give glory to him. Thank you for joining us as well. We are continuing our journey again next week, looking at three cosmic messages Until then, may God bless you, and we'll see you next time on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.